Welcome to The 43%. I'm Claudia Reuter. This show forgets about the leaning in or leaning out debate and talks to successful women about their paths towards creating a life that includes both family and career. Our name is a nod to the fact that 43% of women leave the workforce when they have children. We all have our takes on why and what might be done to better support mothers who are grappling with work inside and outside of the home. In this show, though, we explore a wide range of experiences and ideas with a goal of simply shedding more light on what's possible. Equality sounds unfair if you have been treating people poorly or if you've been cutting a line a bunch, right? Like if your whole life is cutting a line and then now you're being told that you have to wait in line with everybody else because that's fair, it sounds like oppression. That was today's guest, Ula Scott Bano. Ula is the host of the podcast, Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace, and the founder and host of the podcast, Hella Black, Hella Seattle, which she developed in response to an ever-changing Seattle in an effort to preserve and create community for people of color. In our conversation, she shared her experiences of building a career in radio, her unconventional yet inspiring path to podcaster, and her current role as a very dedicated mom. This was a really interesting conversation and one I hope you'll listen to. I was wondering if we could kick off by you sharing a little bit about what you're doing right now. Like how old are your kids? What what stage of life are you in? What's happening? Yeah, so I am 34 um, and I have a one-year-old son who will be two next Saturday. So, you know, you're you're obviously in the, the thick of it right now as a mom. What's your favorite part of being a mom right now? So parenting is like a challenge, right? Like everything I face is like a challenge. Like I can handle this. Like I can, I got to take this on. Mm -hmm. And so I've really been taking it on and enjoying um, watching someone sprout, watching someone grow. We started working on potty training really early with that whole, you know, elimination communication stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so he's potty trained and he knows his alphabet because we, we do watch Sesame Street. But um, but we all love it. We yeah. can't help it. It's like Elmo and the characters and the joy. And then we get to like have the characters with us where we go. And we have to talk about things and read books that really uh, focus him towards, you know, events and learning, you know, mm-hmm. just all around those characters. It's really a nice part of this age. And so I'm enjoying that. And right now he's got uh, so much language. But, um, you know, it's it's a it's a peaking two, you know, almost two-year-old language, so it's not firm, but we, my husband and I both understand it, so the other day I was at the, <laughs> um, the, the park with him, and he was talking to this little boy, and I had to sit down next to him and say, hey, so I'm Livy's mom, um, Livy's short for Livingston, I'm okay. like, I'm Livy's mom, and I'll be his translator today. so can you share a little more about your podcast like what you're working on right now from a business perspective so we just finished wrapping season two of battle tactics for your sexist workplace okay it's a fantastic podcast that really breaks down tactical ways to combat everyday sexism and like overarching bias and how it shows up on your paychecks and you know in your own everyday mentality really and it's i've been so grateful to be a part of it can't even explain to you how impactful I think it's been for so many women. And I think that we, I wish we could, it was touching more people. Mm-hmm. I know that there aren't as many people listening as there are that need it in this country or in this world, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I hope that there are so many different outlets these days for people to receive that kind of good information um, and have it push them in the right direction towards progress, you know? Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, the great thing is there are so many 
positive people saying the right things these days. Yeah, it's, I'm mm-hmm. super excited to become a, an active listener to it because it, I think it's such an important topic. I'd love to hear how you got involved with it. Like what what compelled you to, to make this something you really wanted to work on? How did you get engaged? You know, what, what happened? Yeah, totally. So my history is that I, um, I'm raised by organizers. My father was an organizer in the uh, trade unions, mm-hmm. and um, he um, is a a really big reason why black people at our people of color are even allowed to really work in trades because of how segregated they were in the sixties, late sixties. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Seattle's funny cause as progressive as a city as we are, like as my dad is marching and saying like, let us to work, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it, equality sounds unfair if you have been treating people poorly or if you've been cutting a line a bunch, right? Like if your whole life is cutting a line, and then now you're being told that you have to wait in line with everybody else because that's fair. Mm-hmm. It sounds like oppression. <laughs> yeah, like something's right? being taken away from them, whereas really it's really just making it fair, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, for your podcast, like, can you go back to? I, I know it's an important topic that you guys co- that you're covering on that, but how did you get involved in it? Like, where can you kind of take me through your career pathway? Because not everyone just you know. So my mom, so I, I told you a bit about my dad and him being an organizer, and my mom is, like, is a good speaker, and mm-hmm. she is a hard worker. That's just, like, an umbrella of who she is, and she also cares about the world. And um, she worked in radio, um, like, in an organizing way. She used to have a show um, where she would talk to organizers about things that were going on, and I think she even maybe uh, majored in media in some way in college. Okay. And I think that sunk in somewhere along the lines that speaking was the most important thing to be able to do from both of my parents. And so um, I was never really good at school, though. And I flip-flopped around colleges after graduating from high school, barely. And I had a friend one time say, like, well, what would you do if, like, nobody, like, if you had no bills and you had no stress and you could just do anything for the rest of your life? I was like, I would just talk. Like, I would get paid to have a bunch of conversations with people that I enjoyed because I love hearing people and I love getting different stories. And then he was like, so then just go to school for radio. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And um, I, like, looked into a certificate program in Texas, and my mom was like, I'm not paying for no certificate program in Texas. <laughs> so she was like, you need a degree. So I went to Boston and went to the Art Institute out there and got a degree in radio broadcasting. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, when I left uh, school, I was like, I'm not even going to try to go into radio. Like if Diane Reams uh, won't retire, like how many openings are there? And especially for somebody like me. Well, that I'd love to, to understand that more too. Cause I know you, you went to the school and got this degree. What were some of the, what were some of the biases that other people may not understand, right? That you experienced yeah. that made you be yeah. like, no, I'm not going to even go down this path right now. Yeah. So I would say that the, the main thing with bias is it starts so early. Yeah. Right. So for me, it started like, as I mean, as, I can't remember the first time I felt like, oh, I have to be a certain way, but it felt pretty early on. But I can remember things like, um, you know, talking eloquently and having teachers almost be upset about it, being able to figure out how to get my point across and getting the reaction of like, that ain't even okay. But, <laughs> but instead, it was often in challenge of white men, right? Because I, um, I was taught that injustice was wrong so early. So, you know, if I had a teacher that I could see bias, like skimping through, you know, I would call it out. 
And I wouldn't call it out just for me, right? Like my parents are organizers for in uh, workers' rights. Workers' rights is a mindset that all people deserve the wa- the right to work and be at the table to decide what that work looks like, mm-hmm. you know? And so that doesn't have a race. And um, so I've always been like quick to call out injustice, but that's so I've, I've always had like teachers that I just took it personal. And then... Um, well, it's funny you say that because I just, I was just reading this study where they were looking at what teachers do that may impact, I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen it already too, that this idea that it's, it's what you praise that you see more of, what you ignore, you know, people feel isn't important, so they don't need to worry about it, and what you criticize, you also sometimes see more of if that's the only attention people are getting. And they did the right. study that showed that teachers are more likely to praise boys for correct work ignore like non-compliant behavior whereas they will praise girls for compliant behavior and ignore correct work but then they'll right. they'll criticize incorrect work so i mean kind of sounds like a, right yeah so yeah no i can feel it you know what i mean i can, I can feel it yeah. and it's just it's just, but it's interesting how it all kind of just sinks in over time so I have examples where, though, by high school, though, I had a teacher, and this felt very personal, where in my freshman year, I felt, and I was a kid, so, you know, this is so long looking back, I felt like we got along really well, right? Like, maybe I'm on some, like, I'm a junior comfortable with my homie teacher, mm-hmm. right? But I'm still doing the work, <laughs> and I'm still showing up for class every day. Like, I really like going to class. You can't talk to yourself. Right. Um, but there's a, this one incident that happens where he calls me out and says, you know, like, the way you're talking, you're not taking notes, you know, you need to get out of here. What? And I had to be like, yeah. And I was like, I'm taking notes. They're right here. I'm talking because we're learning. You know what I mean? And this is, like, I'm just involving myself in it, if that makes sense. So I'm not going to be here anymore. Like, I'll just go. If you want me to leave, I'll go. Like, like, and so then I, um, that's part of the reason why I left high school, period. I ended up going just to, like, a credit academy and getting my credit transferred back. Wow. But, um, but I was pissed because I felt like I ha- I'd had a relationship with him, too. And so I think that's the turn of it, too, is, like, sometimes you can be likable, right? And sometimes you can turn people off with your, like, my full-on personality. But I know that the, the reality is, is that the way I am full-on, had I had been nurtured young, right, like, I surely would have just been, like, clearly in radio the minute I left high school. Right, right. You know, because I always talked. And I always was like this. And I'm from, like, I'm born and raised in Seattle, where it's like a progressive radio station is like down the street. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And my dad and my mom are in these fields, right? But at the same time, that at five years old, your parents are the ones that matter most, right? But then, what, seven to 14 is something like, or seven to like 10 is like you're learning for yourself and you're just enjoying it. It's a fun ride. And then something like once 12 to 14 hits, you're just focused on your peers. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and keeping up with your peers is really challenging, especially when people are embarrassing you in front of the class. And did, you know? you, did this teacher ever do that to someone else in the class or literally just kind of singled you out for, for speaking up and, and being part of the discussion? Yeah, I felt really singled out. Yeah. I did. And, and he could, I mean, he could say something else, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I felt like it was, it was completely that. Yeah. yeah. So you, mm-hmm. so you, so you have this experience and you're like, I'm out of here. This is, this is not okay. So then what, you know, now you have a podcast, I mean, but you're in your mid thirties, like what happened in between? Like, how did you, yeah, I worked in retail, like every, like all those girls, I worked in retail. I worked in food service. I didn't do, uh, I was never a waitress. 
I should say. I waitressed I, uh, I did for one food. month after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one I could month. not. I could not. The, the second I thought about food service was I was living in Boston, and they don't have the minimum wage is like skewed towards women being poor, right? Oh yeah, no, it's, <laughs> not, it's like minimum is like the key word. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like two dollars. I was like, I'm not getting paid two dollars. I was like, I'll be a hostess, and the hostess job got paid, you know, fourteen or something like that. And their thing was, but you don't get tips. And I was like, I don't want to. I don't. I do not want a job where my paycheck is dependent on people's energy. Right. I'm telling you, I made it one month as a waitress and I was like, this is not for me. No, hell no. How many, how'd you do for tips? Um, not great because I was at a breakfast, <laughs> I was at a breakfast place. So no one bought anything expensive. So you'd get like, you know, eight, 15% or whatever of like a $5 meal. Right. So I was right. like, this is, this is not a good plan for me. So then you were in retail. Yeah. I've, I've done retail too. What did you, what did you, where were you in retail? Oh, I worked everywhere in retail. So I worked at um, I worked at American Apparel, oh, uh, which is you know the worst and the best at the same time. I really enjoyed my the team I had there. It was amazing, but um, the overhead was just you know disgusting mm-hmm. to say the least. And um, I worked at Urban Outfitters, which I really loved. I had a really good boss there named Lindsay. I really enjoyed her. There is so much we have to deal with at work, whether it's tight deadlines, managing customer concerns, or developing the right solutions, and everything in between. I know the last thing I want to worry about is what to wear. Beta Brand solves that problem with their dress pant yoga pants. Not only are they a great pair of pants for any professional setting, but they're also super comfortable. Beta Brand wants you to look good and feel good, whether you're sitting at your desk or driving your kid's carpool. They've got styles for like boot cut, straight leg, skinny, cropped, and more. It was actually really hard to choose from the huge selection, but I chose the option in boot cut black because I felt like it went with everything, and it does. Visit betabrand.com slash 43% to get 20% off your own pair today. That's B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D dot com slash 43 P-E-R-C-E-N-T to get 20% off your dress pant yoga pants today. So you went down the retail path and then how did you, and then, but your podcast is so, you know, it's such a, a great, like rich topic too. Like, how did you, how did you pick? Yeah. So I should say, I, so, so I went down the, the plot of retail, but I knew I'd always want to do a show. Yeah. And so I really spent some time thinking about what show would be the most honest for me. And I had moved back to Seattle um, after Boston with my husband mm. and I had met enough transplants that were really, that it, it was clear to me that black transplants could not survive Seattle. Seattle had moved, you know, had gentrification has gutted the central district, which was historically black. And there was no way for people to even be able to keep track of if, if there even was a black community, if that makes sense. And yeah. I was like, you know, here's the thing though. I, there is one. So I would meet people and they'd be like, I don't even know if, if, if there are black people here. I'd be like, there are, we're, there's a bunch of us. <laughs> We've been here forever. You know, we used to be thick and now we're thin. And so, and, um, and so I was like, well, let me, what would be the best thing for that? And I came up with the podcast, um, Hella Black, Hella Seattle. Okay. Now, this show was me and two really good friends, and we um, each have different things that are very true to us. My friend Jasmine is just in the know always about what's going on. She's very much a planner. And um, so she would monthly do events. And then my friend Elena was, um, sorry, was 
was comfortable initially just being a, like a food critic because she eats out all the time. She really mm-hmm. does know about every single restaurant before it opens. It's, it's kind of wild. It's kind of wild when you're like, there's a new place. She's like, I've been there. It's okay. And you're like, how? It opened this morning. It opened this morning. So... And so she'd initially start off with food stuff, but then she spread it to be kind of, you know, just anything around Seattle that she thought people should know about. Cool. And, um, and then I would lead interviews with people of color that we will never get enough time in typical media to tell mm-hmm. their story. And so I was giving, you know, we were giving an hour or more to people to really talk and enjoy each other. It was a good show. It was the first time, it was the first show I've ever heard of that was biweekly. Um, and initially what we did was it was bi-weekly with a mix in the middle. We would ha- we had a local DJ make a mix and put that out too in podcasts, oh, but then nice. eventually Kanye West noticed. And so we had to, um, stop that. And then, <laughs> um, but it was like a, well over a year that we did mixes and got to like really promote a bunch of local DJs. And they were, I think all of them saw an increase in their, um, you know, ability to make a living at least off of like a little bit more name, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or a little bit more people pulling them. I don't know. I shouldn't be so cocky. I don't actually know if there was success, but I hope there was. I'm sure and, there um, was. I feel like everything is always connected and amplifies each other. So And we and honestly, yeah. we had some really good mixes too. So that's a big part of it. And we had a lot of women DJs. And so that was nice. really cool too. So yeah, so then that show, but that show was a labor of love. It was something that we did in our free time. And it was something that took a lot of energy and effort out of all of us. And um, we were recording, you know, once a month, but chopping it up. And it was all on me in a lot of ways. My husband did all of the design work for it. And, but it became to be too much for us because I was asked on to do um, Battle Tactics because Jeannie was a listener of Hello Black, Hello Seattle. Mm, okay. Yeah. And, and I don't think Jeannie knew as much about me as like, you know, I've just spilled out for you initially. I think she had just listened to Hello Black, Hello Seattle and was like, you was actually good at this. I would love to have a woman of color be my co-host. I can't be, you know, we can't just be two white women ranting about, you know, the challenges we face and we don't face all the challenges. Um, there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and Jeannie's smart that way. I think that she's gotten a lot of sense because she's uh, a sensible person. <laughs> and I think she's, you know, she would say, you know, I've, Eula, you know, you met me older. If you met me younger, blah, blah, blah. But I would be like, you still are young. Everybody's growing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Seriously. And, so, and that, how's that experience? So that you just wrapped up your second season. Do you, um, do you see that just keep, you're going to keep going with that? Are there more things on the horizon you're thinking about? Like what's next for you? Yeah, so I'm not sure what's going to happen with um, Battle Tactics for Your Texas Workplace because it's a KUOW podcast, and so okay. KUOW gets to pull the strings on that one. But um, what's next for me is I'm working on another show I want to do, um, and I'm working on a title, but I think it's something around the name, the idea of If I Were Mayor. Oh, um, because I like that. I, w- I w- honestly would love, love, love to be mayor of Seattle if I'm being honest about my whole life, but I actually don't know if I'm even a little qualified. Right. Oh, come on. And, look at, look um, at the, I mean, you're perfectly qualified. <laughs> like, I, all right. So um, I'm going to do a show called If I Were Mayor that, that will really kind of unpack if I were mayor, some of the things I would do um, and the, the goals I would have for the city. I, I mean, when I say I love Seattle, I love Seattle like, like it's my sister. You okay. know, I've actually been really lucky that my family's owned the same home my whole life. I'm standing in it right now. And my son was born here. Oh, wow. And I feel real attachment to this place. And it's really in the heart of the Central District, and it's right next to a public park, and everything about it is as ideal as I could imagine. And I'm okay with making peace with the city and saying that I can't, that I'm going to be priced out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Did you um, have your, your son in your house? Did you have like a home? I did, yeah. How, I did, yeah. How was that experience? I'm always it fascinated really by all the different, you know, like I feel like there's so much, Some, I mean, this could just be me, but sometimes I feel like there's a lot of like 
this is how you should do it or this is how you shouldn't do it. And like, I remember like mine, I was just finally glad to like get through the whole process and everyone was okay. But I've always been intrigued by the home because you hear all these stories, like most U.S. presidents were born in their homes. And I'm like, there's something that must be so nice about that in a way. But also like, I remember thinking like, but how do you clean this up? Like, how does this all work? (laughs) Yeah, there's a team of people that do it all for you, just like a hospital. So you bring Um, everybody in? Yeah, and it does. And everybody is really just like the people who love you, and we're going to be there anyways. But they maybe weren't going to do anything, right? So they came. The same people that came after you gave birth, <laughs> with, um, you know, I don't know, you know what they brought. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They would have just been there earlier and helped you clean up. Wow, wow. That sounds yeah. like such a calmer way for the for everything to happen in a way. Like assuming yeah. like nothing goes wrong. Like it just seems like a really. Anyway, that's that's awesome. No, it is. I mean, so here's the thing. We should all be doing it. And I don't like saying that because it sounds like it's an, it's an expectation, right? But if, if it's a natural, if the purpose of birth is to try to get as calm and collected as you possibly can so that you can get this person out of your body, <laughs> <laughs> because the only thing that's really going to do it is, you know, un- unless you need intervention, breath is going to be the really most powerful thing that you have for it. And the calmest breath we're going to really be able to create is in the space that we feel the most comfortable. And that's usually not in the commute. (laughs) And that's usually not in the room that you just arrived in. You know what I mean? And it's usually not with people walking in and out of a room that you do or don't know. And it's usually not with a bunch of bright lights or even with the lights that have been dim. But still, it's mad sterile in here. Is this an airport? Um, Right, right. I know. For me, though, I was like, I just want to be where, like, anybody like I I had little confidence in myself at that stage of life and I just remember feeling like I need the people who who know what they're doing and I like I don't know I just I would have been really nervous I think in my house because I would have I wouldn't have com- had confidence in my yeah. myself you know what I mean so my breath probably would have been yeah. all screwed up <laughs> but I think that's one thing that we can do with education too you know yeah I think totally. that that's, I mean, I think that we should be having sex ed as early as we possibly can. And that should be all things. But, you know, birth shouldn't be something that's like kept a secret and scary. Because if it's kept a secret and scary, it is really scary. It like, is really I, scary. I'm... Yeah, I worked as a doula. I'm a certified doula. I mean, I'm, I'm a doula, not certified. I'm a childbirth educator. So I've attended 10 births, not a ton. Wow. Um, and I mainly went into that field because I met my husband and I was like, I don't know. Wait, this so wait, this was after, so this was after like retail, you got, you went and studied doula. Yeah. Doula? Cool. Yeah. So after retail, I went and became a doula. Yeah. This is like right at 30 though. So I was older too. So I was like, I should probably look for a real career. And I was like, I want to have kids and I want to know more about this. And I'd already been reading a bunch of books about birth. So, um, doula just felt right. And it rhymed. Um, so, <laughs> so I went for it well, and yeah. That's awesome. I don't think I was the best doula. I think there are calmer people for sure than me. I think I was a good doula. And um, I think that everyone can doula. You know, that's the one thing that makes me really sad about the way this whole system is set up is that, like, we do hire somebody to, like, get to know us, to be a good friend to us, to support us in labor um, when we could just have a friend do that for us, you Mm. know. But capitalism says we can't do that, right? Like, if you and I are best friends, capitalism might be the reason why we live in totally different sides of the country, Right. Yeah. But then even and but even and so capitalism is the reason you can't come over here and just wait for my due date. And even if you live here, you might not be able to take a day off for my due date. I got really lucky in that my friend. So Libby was I went into labor at like four. Oh no, I went to labor at like noon. And then, um, you know, we knew it was going to be long enough. And so people we invited everybody over for dinner mm-hmm. and had a pizza party. And then he was born at like 10. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. I have, um, so, you know, you've had this 
really interesting set of experiences. So, you know, radio school and college and being raised in a family, you know, a large family where you had leadership and, you know, community organizers and you get into retail and become a doula. How did having mm-hmm. your son change anything or, or not? Like, how did it change how you think about your career or, or did it just become part of it? Like how, where, where are you at right now? I would say for me, it's made it really clear that the most important thing is being here with him while he needs mm-hmm. me for sure and being present with him so that he gets out of me what he requires to feel like he is happy. So a lot of that is like, you know, food because that's, you know, nursing and, and, and feeding him. But it's also conversation. We talk a lot. He, he is, really likes information. Mm-hmm. And so he is very big on, you know, what's that? Who's that? And like me being the voice of the answers. And so I'm really grateful that I get to be present with him and give him these answers because I do know that if he were in a preschool, he probably wouldn't have somebody who understood what he was saying as clearly because the way me, myself and his father do. That's so, I mean, yeah, I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to share all of this. It's, it's really inspiring to hear, you know, where you are and you have so much ahead of you too. Like, I mean, I can just hear as you're talking, like there's, Mm. there's so much brightness ahead in terms of what's coming. Um, If you could go back in time to your, you know, maybe when you were first thinking about what you were going to do or how you were reacting to school, is there any advice you would give your younger self? No, I think the truth is you got to go through all of the stuff. Yeah, because <laughs> it sucks and it's growth. I guess I would say read my horoscope more often. Okay, okay, cool. totally. Well, thank yeah. you so much for taking the time today. Um, I really appreciate you being here. The Forty Three Percent is produced by me, Claudia Reuter, Cynthia Pimentel, and the whole team at Wonder Media Network. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan, and our music is from Martin Wisenberg. You can find The 43% wherever you listen to podcasts and on our website at the43percent.com. If you could take just a minute to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to hear these stories.